Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Welcome back and happy Monday, January 8th, 2024. I am Seth Leapson. 602-508-0960 is the number. I've got David Dahl, my producer right in front of me, Terry behind him, Mr. Bill to my right, and y'all points across the spectrum. The cost of incompetence, the cost of moral unseriousness, the cost of arrogance, Two opening paragraphs from the two most important newspapers in the country, important because that's who the corporate and government leadership in this country deems so, not because they are the best. Washington Post yesterday morning, quote, President Biden has dispatched his top aides to the Middle East with a critical objective, prevent a full-blown war from erupting between Israel and the Lebanese militia group Hezbollah, close quote. New York Times this morning, quote, President Biden and his top national security aides believed last summer that the chances of conflict with Iran and its, proc- and its proxies were well contained, close quote. I should like to skip to the fourth paragraph of the New York Times piece, quote, Meanwhile, though little discussed by the Biden administration, the Iranian nuclear program has suddenly been put on steroids. International inspectors announced in late December that Iran initiated a threefold increase in its enrichment of near-bomb-grade uranium. By most rough estimates, Iran now has the fuel for at least three atomic weapons, and American intelligence officials believe the additional enrichment needed to turn that fuel into bomb-grade material would take only a few weeks. Close quote. In any other venue of business, this would be complete and absolute failure. Dismissible, because dismal performance. The entire New New York Times piece could save a lot of ink by simply giving us the entirety of the story this way. The Biden administration got Iran very wrong. This is worse than Barack Obama calling ISIS junior varsity. Worse because ISIS was not a country, was not on the precipice of nuclear capability, and did not have tens of thousands of proxy fighters across multiples of countries. Remember, the Biden plan was to take the leading state sponsor of terror, which had been contained by the previous administration, and tell them the previous administration had been too tough on them, and wealthen them with billions of dollars, and tell them we would pay them and downgrade our rhetoric about them if they would ever so kindly meet us at a negotiation table. One can almost hear, or wish to hear, Governor Reagan of California telling reporters who asked about students who took over college buildings he had a duty to negotiate with them when he responded, what in the hell is there to negotiate? The New York Times ends its 42-paragraph story with this final quote at the end. Quote, Iran is enriching because they can, Miss Maloney said. Their goal has always been to wait out pressure and give themselves the option of a weapons program, close quote. The Miss Maloney is a scholar at the Brookings Institute, a Democratic Party liberal think tank. 
Their goal has always been to wait out pressure with an option to restart at any time. Isn't that what Donald Trump said for five years and was lambasted for saying? Isn't that what every opponent of the U.S.-Iran deal has been saying for 10 years? Isn't that talk the very kind John Kerry scolded his dissenters and opponents for saying? Wasn't that the whole rationale for scrapping the Iran deal under Donald Trump in the first place to such criticism? One can almost hear Pete Seeger singing the anti-war song, Where Have All the Flowers Gone?, with the chorus, When Will They Ever Learn? When Will They Ever Learn? Which takes me to the Washington Post piece yesterday because of its illustration, by negative implication, as to how all this happens in the first place. Unlike the New New York Times piece, which took two writers, this piece has three. But perhaps one was an editor because it's only 39 paragraphs, three shorter than the New York Times. Opening sentence, quote, President Biden has dispatched his top aides to the Middle East with a critical objective, prevent a full-blown war from erupting between Israel and the Lebanese militant group Hezbollah, close quote. The entire article is about the United States doing everything it can to arrest Israel from engaging a war with Hezbollah, which occupies southern Lebanon. Quote, the administration has warned Israel against a significant escalation in Lebanon, close quote. Hezbollah is the focus of the article, mentioned 26 times, the focus being woe unto Israel if it tries to rid southern Lebanon or northern Israel or the world of Hezbollah headquarters and lethality. By the way, I used a pregnant word above, occupy, for it seems to be the operational word to mean that which Israel cannot do. And yes, Hezbollah occupies southern Lebanon. But occupy usually means that which Israel shouldn't be doing. See, for example, Gaza, however, not occupied for over 15 years. See, for example, the West Bank, which has more Jewish history and religious and national significance to Jews than southern Lebanon does to Iranians, where Hezbollah, yes, occupies the entire region. No U.N. measures are ever brought up anent the Iranian or Hezbollah occupation there, however. Some occupations, it turns out, don't matter, depending on who is doing the occupying, just as we are told some plagiarism doesn't matter, depend on who is doing the plagiarizing. The inaptness of that analogy is nobody, never mind thousands of innocents, thousands of Americans were ever killed by a missing footnote or quotation mark. This is the issue. Throughout the Washington Post article, Hezbollah is written about as if it's just one of any number of regular ho-hum state actors to be treated like, say, any other member of the U.N. that finds itself in territorial skirmishes from time to time. Throughout the article, Hezbollah are put on the same footing and given the same integrity with every other country, including Israel. And the U.S. administration is vibrating to keep Israel from liquidating it liquidating the leading terrorist organization in the world, sponsored trade paid for by Iran, lock, stock, and barrel. Yes, in the world. Hezbollah has killed hundreds of Americans, if not thousands, from Argentina to Lebanon. In fact, Hezbollah has a manifesto. Let us read from it, since words seem to matter more than actions to the yellow brick road drivers of American foreign policy in the Washington Post. Quote, We are fighting the root of vice. And the first root of vice is America. All the endeavors to drag us into marginal action will be futile when compared with the confrontation against the United States, close quote. 
The next sentence cites Ayatollah Khomeini as saying America is the root of the world's evil. That's Hezbollah. So, by all means, the Biden administration and the Washington Post treat Hezbollah as just another entity, be it an ally or would-be ally, an entity to have detente with, perhaps even entente, an entity Israel should not extirpate because Hezbollah's shower of missiles against Israel are just normal, correct relations between two parties who have differences of opinion in a territorial dispute. Saul put me into mind of a kerfuffle when Eleanor Roosevelt in the 1950s said she would shake the Soviet premier's hand because and just as she would shake Senator Joseph McCarthy's hand. William Buckley asked why would someone engage in mass killings receive the same courtesy of someone who is not and would not. The moral and strategic philosopher James Burnham wrote a review of Miss Roosevelt's book back in those days and what he wrote of her, it seems, is precisely what could be written of the New York Times, the Washington Post, and mostly the Biden administration when it comes to understanding friend from foe, good from bad, seriousness from unseriousness, forces of composition versus forces of decomposition. I shall replace her name with theirs, Burnham wrote. They are able to complete their flower-strewn march unpricked by the thorns of reason. This furious energy to which a gigantic ego frantically clings is like a great tank with a drunken driver loose in the crowded streets of a city. It is the onrush of sentiment unguided, unrestrained by intelligence, reason, or principle. Over whatever subject, problem, plan, or issue they touch, they spread a squid-like ink of directionless feeling. All distinctions are blurred, all analysis fouled, and that murk-clear thought is forever impossible. So is anything like the word order, as in order of the loves. So is anything like the word order, as in international. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. am I missing? I think I'm right about that. The Tigers are the Tigers, David. Yeah, but you're... Bengal Tigers from Bangladesh. Yes, Bangladesh has Tigers. They're called Bengal Tigers or just Tigers. In addition to football players? <laughs> In addition to the Bengalese football team, the Tigers. <laughs> Coming to you live from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio. Brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. I have a, um, a definitional issue to go down uh, rabbit hole with you in a little bit because you said you went to a campfire this weekend, and I, I thought a we had had discussions fire? about that, huh? A bonfire. Okay. I thought you said campfire. I did not go camping. Okay. That, because that, that's, that, that is the definitional difference between Maybe a, I said campfire, but yeah, I, I think you perhaps did. didn't mean a real campfire. There was— You said uh, campfire. Okay. And it was in someone's backyard. Yeah. Okay. That Can is a the distinguishing. Can bonfire be in someone's backyard? Huh? Can a bonfire be in someone's backyard? Uneasily, but yes. Oh, uneasily. Yeah. Unsafely, but yes. Okay, because you had me concerned. I didn't want you to think camping was just sitting out in someone's backyard. I Only tried that five. once. It didn't last long. <laughs> okay, let me go to Matt in Phoenix. Hello, Matt. 
Hi, Seth. How are you? I just wanted to say, you know, or tell people what it was like in Israel. I was there about 18 months ago. And Israel itself, they do not occupy, they do not suppress. Everybody was friendly. The only problem I ever had was when we went into the West Bank to visit the church in Bethlehem. Talk to me. I've been there. Uh, I've been there a few, four times, I guess, most recently a few years ago. Um, and Bethlehem is itself an interesting place. It used to be about 85% Christian. Uh, it's, it's, it's about 8% Christian now. Our, our tour guide had brought that up, and when we're going over there, they were letting us know, well, it all depends on the situation at the time. Yeah. Uh, when we got there, we had we were driven over on a bus, tour bus from Israel. We had to park, get out, and be driven the rest of the way on a tour bus, be, being driven by a Palestinian. Yeah, I, the, the Palestinian Arabs there are they are in control. I, I I don't think the the reason that Christians fled Bethlehem was because of Jews. And. You know, I don't know if people really know how, you know, the Israelis live, but the apartment that we were in, which was about three-quarters of a mile south of uh, where the U.S. Embassy used to be in Tel Aviv, every door in the apartment was steel-framed and steel door yeah. just for protection sure. against uh, rocket and terrorist attacks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's the only thing I ever saw that that said they were on a war footing. Did you go to the? And you, I, I assume this was with a tour. It sounds like it was on a tour that you with a tour. Uh, we went on our own, but we hooked up with some tours on did, a day to day. Did you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre? Yes. Did you hear the loud blasts of the Muslim call to prayer echoing throughout it? Yes, they did. Yeah, I, I, that's that's something that kind of perked my ears up too. Um, did you go to the, um, to the, uh, to the to the to the to the to the to the garden, the garden tomb? Time for that. Yeah, it's interesting. The garden tomb is an alternative place uh, outside of the area of the sepulcher where they think maybe Jesus uh, arose from, and. Um, they have an image of Golgotha, which is how they help identify that the Garden Tomb might have been that place. If you look at it, it's very hard, because there's a bus stop, that, a, a, an Arab bus stop that has been plastered over the image of, Gol, you know, of Golgotha, of the skull. My point is this. Um, for as much as there is a Jewish-Muslim problem, you go to Bethlehem, you go to the Church of the Holy sepulchre, you go to the garden tomb, other places, there has been a concerted effort to wipe out any vestige or any integrity or sanctity of Christian or Jewish relics where they are in charge, the Muslims. Something else that really shows the difference between the two groups is the Grand Mosque there in <laughs> Well, yeah, the, the, the obvious one, right, right, just and, this huge thing planted and, on top of the Jewish temple, yeah, of course. Yeah. And if you're... Talk, Muslim, talk about imperial colonialism. 
yeah, you can you can go up there, no problem. If you're Christian, Jewish, anything else, there are guards that will stop and prevent you from getting from going there. Yeah, Jews can't that's, go to the Temple Mount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you know the, the Western Wall is so important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's eye-opening for anyone who goes there. The notion that this is an apartheid state is laughable, if not sad. Um, when you see the, integ- the the state of Israel outside of the disputed territories and you see the interaction and you see all the road signs in multiple languages, including Arabic, and you see the way Israelis who are Jewish treat Israelis who are not Jewish. I mean, the, if this was apartheid, Nelson Mandela had nothing to complain about. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's amazing. You know, it's night and day. You know, the people that are saying that Israel should lay down their arms, if Israel does that, Israel ceases to exist. If Hamas lays down their their arms, Gaza will flourish. Well, you know, the theoretical of that point was somewhat proven by the actual. Israel left lock, stock, and barrel in 2006. There wasn't a Jewish entity remaining. They disinterred the buried dead there who were Jewish. There was no vestige of Judaism or Jewish presence in Gaza whatsoever for 2006. Billions of dollars flow in to Hamas, billions of dollars. And instead of, you know, turning it into a functioning statelet or state, um, this is this is what 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 it was turned into, a nightmare. They turned it into a nightmare because governing was never and sovereignty was never the interest. Never. The interest yeah, was always uh, the liquidation of Israel. Uh, another telling example is just look at Israel in and of itself and everything they've accomplished in the short time they've been a country, and then look at Gaza. It's, you know, third world. Uh, it's not even that. I mean, it's not even—I well, mean, it would take some work to get it to the third world, I would think. And well, I— I kind of grade on a little. Okay, you grade on a curve, and I'll and I'll accept your curve. But outside of the misuse of all that funding, is the misuse of human beings and children in an education system. I mean, it is a it is a rotten culture that teaches the worst kinds of retrograde medieval uh, thought about the Jews and the Christians. And you wonder how they can be such a violent people. They start young, they ingrain it young, they propagandize, and they weaponize. That is a toxic, toxic sewer. Yeah, and you know Israel welcomes them into the, you know, into Tel Aviv and the city. Fifteen thousand work permits to the Gazans. Yep, used to help infiltrate Israel. Thank you, Matt. I got to run. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski brings us our culture and economy update. He's the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. Happy Monday, John. Hey, Seth. How you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? Great. First Monday we get to talk in the new year. Yeah. So I'm flying a little blind, but I saw. So I don't. I don't have my computer today. Well, I hope you weren't on that flight where the no. door oh, blew God, out. No, no. But yeah. sheesh, 
I just saw yeah, an good, update. No one was sitting in those seats next to that, which was really amazing. Right? Everybody always wants to sit next to the emergency exit. But. Yeah, well, not anymore. Oof, I not, know, right? Not anymore. Um, I uh, I don't actually know how airlines did today. It looks like tech did okay, but there's yeah, a story. Boeing was Boeing. Yeah, Boeing yeah. got hit because yeah, of this, Boeing, of course. I'm yeah. sure it did. Yeah. Um, but I was struck by a headline that came across the transom. Can retirees keep splurging? Mm. Don't count on it. That's kind of your wheelhouse. Talk to me yeah. about this. Well, it's interesting. They're talking about in this article um, Social Security and the cost of living adjustments that happen. And they, they call it the COLA each year that they uh, look at Social Security. They look at what's happening in the economy and uh, what inflation is doing. You know, in 2023, we had an 8.7% cost of living adjustment to your social security payment. That was a big deal. That was a big number, you know. So um, many people, you know, saw that and that was extra money to them. Whereas now this year, the inflation, of course, has decreased substantially. And we're talking probably about a 3.2% increase in in uh, your social security benefit. However, uh, premiums for Medicare also are going to increase this uh, year as well. I think it was about $9.80 a month. So depending on how much you're receiving, I mean, that bites into your Social Security benefit as well. But the other side of this, too, I saw another article. It talks about Americans are racking up more phantom debt. And basically what yeah, the issue is, is, yeah, what what happened is, is there's these great ways that you can purchase things online shopping now. Uh, you know, buy now, pay later type of things. Uh, so you don't even have to really use your own credit card. Okay. These companies are basically carrying the debt. Okay. Um, and this is kind of a phantom debt out there because there's really no way to track this of what the consumer's actual debt is from these purchases, say, over the holiday season. So um, this is it's really going to kind of get a little bit dicey here for some people. I, I always encourage people, don't don't spend more than you can afford. Uh, if you're using a credit card, uh, you know, to live off of and uh, to purchase things, uh, do your best to have make sure you have the money to pay it off each month and not have to live with the 18, 19, 20 percent interest rate that a lot of these credit cards are charging, because it'll be almost impossible if you're trying to just make minimum payments to ever catch up on that debt. Well, it leads one to another headline. I can't really access it, as I said, but um, there is another headline that looks on point to those that think maybe, you know, things will get better shortly. That's not what the Wall Street Journal says. Nation's top economists are short-term happy, long-term yeah. glum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and again, uh, it, it's it's going to be an interesting year to see how we get through this. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we had a, a rough first week of the year for the stock market, yeah. but I, I, I think I'd mentioned, you know, last week when we chatted that I thought that was a lot of profit-taking. Yes. Uh, people maybe who decided, yeah, it's looking you know, better hey, today, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And we did see today a, a total reversal of what happened to uh, the NASDAQ, which are those tech stocks, yep. uh, up almost 2% today. And that's a substantial increase in one day for that index. Uh, and it's recapturing most of the losses from last week. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, the markets go up and down. It's a living and breathing kind of entity. And I tell people, you know, you're not in this for the short haul. And if you are for the short term, then don't um, invest in the stock market. Uh, but if you're in it for, you know, the right reasons, uh, with the right portfolio, working with a good advisor, uh, long term, you know, things, obviously, if we look back over time, the stock market has provided a lot of people with a lot of net worth. And oh, a yeah. Lot of just look at any great company mm -hmm. that we talk about yeah. all the time now mm -hmm. and ask yourself what it would have liked to <laughs> would have been yeah. like to get yeah. in 20 years ago. Or yep. yeah, and right? Again, yeah. you can get in yeah. um, even though at these levels yeah. uh, we could do it in a measured way. Yeah. 
but uh, so again, if folks want to, you know, start the new year, one of your resolutions maybe is to get on track with your finances and start really saving for your financial future. That's what we do for clients yep. each and every day. Go to our website, grandcanyonplanning.com. You can request an appointment right there. And you do it better than anyone. Thank you, John. God bless you. Well, thank you, you Seth. Yeah. Uh, Securities and Advisory Services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and Sipic, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. We'll talk tomorrow. You betcha. Be good, John. All right. Thank you. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Young David and I love promoting small businesses and in that they tend to be restaurants. We like to share when we have a really good experience at one, and I had a great one. Have you been to the Tavern at the Orchard on 12th Street? Oh, my gosh. It's so fun. Um, Want to take me? Yeah, yeah, I will at some point. <laughs> I don't it's think I It's really have wonderful. Uh, great brunch. They're open for dinner. Polite. Great menu. Fantastic food. I can't say enough about it. And then you said you went to an interesting place in Gilbert. Oh, you betcha. I had a very interesting Saturday evening. I went down to Agritopia, and I've never been down there. Yeah. It was a very fun experience. I got to walk around the property, and it's. I ate at Joe's Farm Grill, and they were featured on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives so in 2006, I want to say. And I had the Guy Fieri meal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which was uh, a garlic cheeseburger yeah. along with uh, onion rings, and they had fresh date shakes, so I got to have one of those. A as date well. shake, yeah. I mean, I was I was expecting. Uh, it, well, anyway, it was hard to find a date shake outside of Palm Springs, so I was very surprised. Have, and it was fresh. Have you ever had a cactus shake? No. They used to sell cactus shakes around here made with prickly pear sweet. I you can kind of understand why they stopped. Graham's fruit. <laughs> Too many steak. tongue injuries, huh? I said I can understand no, why they no, stopped no, too many tongue injuries. No, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. But yeah, people make fun of me for telling them to stop at Dateland for a date shake. It's good. They're good, mm-hmm. aren't date they? Date shakes are amazing. Yeah. It's uh, American road trip food. And it's yeah. sweet. But you liked that, Joe. Oh, they have boy, a barbecue joint. I feel joint. like it was, I was down in Americana land. You yeah. Know? They had Johnny Quest playing on television. Did and, they really? Uh, yeah, yeah. It looks like a little road stop, uh, you know, just... Tourist place. I love but they the also John- have many other. I love the Johnny Quest well. theme song, but I got to tell you, I still have nightmares from you the still opening. Still have nightmares. Yeah, from the opening. It the was theme a, it song was a lovely great. time. Yeah, um, but good. And they have a barbecue place too. I've heard great things. about Yes, Joe's that, barbecue. that there is a there is a Joe's barbecue yeah. that's in downtown Gilbert. I have yet to go there yet. This yeah, is maybe my, that'll be our road this trip. This is my first uh, Joe's experience. Maybe you can you check will. in with the suits upstairs, get the company card, and we'll go down there on a yeah on uh, a spelunker we'll t- we'll hitchhike. Mission. Okay. All right. Uh, Rick. Hello, Rick. How are you? Hello, hello. Do I have you? Rick in Phoenix. Once. Going once. Going twice. Three times a lady? I hear I hear me in the background. All right. Well, echo, echo, echo. We'll try him again. Uh, it looked like his comment had something to do with the garden, too. Um, in any event, I um, regular listeners to this show know that I, uh, and Hugh Hallman is too, are huge fans of understanding the condition we're in in America, the kind of down market condition we view our country in, the kind of degraded state of patriotism we find here. We like going to really the first warnings of that. Uh, to 1838 and a speech Abraham Lincoln gave called the Lyceum speech at the Young Men's Lyceum, 
where he's talking about how as the founders generation passes on, you know, as they aged out and died, those who fought the Revolutionary War, that it was going to be a challenge to maintain the zeal that came, that emanated from their their essence, their being, their memory, and that our greatest threat of destruction was not armament from abroad, invasion from abroad, but necrosis from within, the cessation of believing in our own in our own mission i don't know if that's changing a little bit here and there or if it's just convenient politics for joe biden to all of a sudden be rediscovering people like george washington and phraseology like sacred cause of liberty but (laughs) i'll take it where i can get it um and i was fascinated to read this weekend as i was going through some some uh, research, something I stumbled upon I'd never seen before, and I want to share it with you from Cicero. Um, this is this is from from Cicero's um, Cicero's book on the Republic, and it dawned on me that this must have been reverberating in Abraham Lincoln's mind when he sketched out his Lyceum speech. And I'm going to connect it to something in a moment, because as Victor Davis Hanson latest essay speaks to, um, he's he's, Davis Hanson, a classicist himself, has a piece called A Culture in Collapse and How American Civilization Has Been Turned Upside Down. I just, instead of reading Lincoln, which I will read until the cows come home, uh, I thought Cicero was worth quoting and sharing with you. I've never seen this before from from his uh, from his book uh, on the Republic. Neither men alone, unless a state is supplied with customs too, nor customs alone, unless there have also been men to defend them, could ever have been sufficient to found or to preserve so long a commonwealth whose dominion extends so far and wide. Thus, before our own time, the customs of our ancestors produced excellent men, and eminent men preserved our ancient customs and the institutions of their forefathers. But though the Republic, when it came to us, was like a beautiful painting, whose colors, however, were already fading with age— Our own time not only has neglected to freshen it by renewing the original colors, but has not even taken the trouble to preserve its configuration and, so to speak, its general outlines. For what is now left of the ancient customs on which it is said we built the commonwealth of Rome, they have been, as we see, so completely buried in oblivion that they are not only no longer practiced, but are already unknown. And what shall I say of the men? For the loss of our customs is due to of men, and for this greatest evil, we must not only give an account, but must even defend ourselves in every way possible, as if we were accused of capital crime. For it is through our own faults, not by any accident, that we retain only the form of the commonwealth, but have long since lost its substance. 
folks, I want to repeat that. We have maintained the form of the Commonwealth, but have long since lost its substance. I want you to think about that in the context of America and in the context of what Joe Biden says is the greatest threat to our democracy. He's talking about a form, I suppose, but shouldn't we be talking about the substance? And if it's only the form that's left and not so much the substance, is it those original colors that we've allowed to fade? And I submit the answer is indubitably yes. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Y-Refi. They have a secure investment where you can earn a great fixed rate of return with a lot of, fe- a lot of flexibility and control for you, the investor. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. There is no attack on principle if you ever need your money back. You, of course, get a monthly statement with no surprises, and there are absolutely no fees. This secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi can earn you up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24. 888-YREFI-24. I read you from uh, Cicero in the previous segment about the same concern that Lincoln had in the Lyceum Address. He gave this speech at the age of 28. He must have had Cicero on his mind because he talks about the state of patriotic feeling fading and has faded. He says, I do not mean to say that the scenes of the revolution are now or will ever entirely, excuse me, will be entirely forgotten. He wouldn't split an infinitive but that like everything else, they must fade upon the memory of the world and grow more and more dim by the lapse of time. In history, we hope they will be read and recounted so long as the Bible shall be read, but even granting that they will, will, their influence cannot be what it heretofore has been. And then he ends with the sermonizing of the need to continually study and evangelize and pass down that which our fathers, forefathers gave us, which is through our education system, both publicly and at home. And then he says, using reason, reason. Experience, he said, had helped us up until the 1820s and 1830s. Now, reason. And that, folks, with you a little bit later is what I want to get into that Victor Davis Hanson is getting into, the attack on reason. Now, in that we are partly federal and partly national, as James Madison said, we got to deal with some Arizona stuff too. And today we had the state of the state address from Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs. And George Kaloff watched it um, and uh, was there, and he's going to review it with us, what we're going to hear about from the upcoming, for the upcoming year with the state legislature and elections and everything on Hobbes's mind and our state legislatures. Why are you looking at me funny? I didn't know he was going to be joining us. Yeah, we should tell you these things, right? Usually. Well, look over your shoulder. Be aware. Is he back there? Yes. Wow, he really is, folks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. 